the journey that we've been on for the last month has been one that I just want to say, as we conclude it today, thank you for your receptivity, not just to me, but more importantly, to God. Because it's not been a journey in a series that's always that exciting or wow-wow. It's one that really comes close to home. And the series has been about money. And we've called it Money, Madness, and Mission. And so today we're going to be finishing out the series Money, Madness, and Mission. And we've been looking specifically, because there's many things we could have looked at, specifically the issue of how to give generously and to be a generous person. How many of you like stingy people? You don't. How many of you like people who hoard things and keep them to themselves? You don't. You know why? Because God didn't make us to be that way, and we admire the attribute of God in other people that reflects who He is. And God is a generous God. And so, man, that person's just so generous. Well, what you're seeing is a little capsule of, there's the heart of God. And so we've been asking God, how do you put your heart within us as a people, even trying to make ends meet and all the responsibilities of life, so that we reflect your glory? And that's why we've uh, highlighted this verse throughout 2 Corinthians 8, 7, which says, But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, See that you also excel in this grace of giving. You know, in Sunday school, uh, growing up, or in the early years, different things, they'd have you memorize Bible verses. How many of you did Bible memorization verses? All right? Some of you had never had that opportunity. Here's your opportunity. Memorize this one. It's a great one. In fact, let's say it together again. Here we go. 2 Corinthians 8, 7. Ready? But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. That's the Apostle Paul's words to a church in the city in Corinth. And he wanted them to have the heart of God, to excel in the grace of giving. And so that's why we've been walking through these weeks, is so that the heart of God would be a part of not only your life and your family, but would be a part of our life as a church body. It was a number of years ago, actually, when I um, I started to think about that uh, this week. I mean, many years ago now that you age, right? But uh, it was about 25 years ago, and uh, 20, 25 years ago, somewhere in there, that I uh, had a body of people similar to this size. And we were in rented facilities on a month-to-month basis, if they rented it out, we were gone. Now, that's a little tenuous. You're like, okay, God, whatever. And so I brought in an outside guy from an organization to talk about how we could develop stewardship resources to be able to get our own place, maybe even someday buy our own property, our own facility. And so we brought him in. I had some of the key leaders gather, and we walked through an hour discussion, interacting, and, and I forget how we had dialed into him having more information on us because he brought a pamphlet and a folder that I, I thought it was really impressive. I'm like, well, do we sort of hire this person to come in and help us get, get the action going so we can get out of here and get on our way? He shared with us after the meeting. He comes to me, and he says, Carrie, this is my thought for your body. You could do one of those stewardship campaigns and we could help you raise 
uh, resources to be able to get your own facility, that kind of thing. And I think you've done that here before, before I came, even to get into these facilities that we're a part of, that we have a lease on. But he said, you know what you need to do is you need to spend time with your body over the course of the next year and teach just stewardship. Because if you do not have the foundation of people having a generous heart to God and the foundation of being able to give on a regular basis to God and his work, then it doesn't do any good for us to raise resources to be able to jump somewhere else. It needs to be a part of the fiber of your body. And so we did take that initiative as a body of people. That body of people grew greatly in the coming years, and I believe a lot of it had to do with our faithfulness in this subject matter of laying the foundation of being a people who gave generously, not just to the support of the body of the church and for us, and we ended up eventually moving into a our own facility with our own lease and then our own property later on in our own facility. But there was the bedrock established amongst that body that they would be a generous people and be obedient to God's word. And so we've sought to be obedient to God. And as I said up at the front a couple times through this series, we're just looking deeply at scripture. We're going to look at a lot of scripture again this morning as, as, as we move on to the, fifth, the fourth question there of where do you place a, a generous offering at. But um, I want you to know that this is a long-term process, and you've been very faithful in digging in and establishing some of that foundation. I haven't had too many people go, tell me when that series is over and I'm coming back then. No, I've seen you wrestle with this issue of money and uh, the tyrant, as we talked about, uh, but you have been very faithful. And in fact, it was interesting this morning, I was getting ready to come and, and I had a text uh, from somebody in our body, and they said, hey, I just sent you an email. And so I went and looked at it, and I read it, and I asked them, I said, well, can I use that this morning maybe? And they said, well, sure, I'm, I'm helping over in children's ministry, but that's fine, you can go ahead and use it. And some of you may know who this is, but it's from Janelle. Janelle Nelson says this, hello, <clears throat> I had prayed and asked God that even with our tithe, we would be able to provide our for our needs, pay our bills, still be generous in hospitality to others. I also prayed specifically for the funds to go on the women's retreat. Well, guess what? My mom donated $50, saying it's just a great thing that I'm doing. And she is Mormon, by the way. Then a letter in the mail was received Saturday. $151.71 settlement from a job worked in high school. I now have, she's not in high school, trust me. <laughs> I, have now, I now have more than what I need to go to the women's retreat. Praise God for these provisions and showing himself to me in a very real way. Women who want to go on the retreat can trust God to provide the way. I think that's just one of many testimonies. If I open it up here this morning, uh, we'd be able to start to see God working in our life. And whether it's the provision of resources as we give to him, or maybe it's just the joy of being able to be a generous person and being obedient to God's word, I want to say thanks for being on the journey. Thanks for having your heart open, because I believe this is rock-bottom foundational for us as a church called The Awakening to be able to impact this valley, our communities, and ultimately the world for Christ. It's important, and you've been receptive, so thanks. Let me pray. Lord, this morning we ask 
that you would close us out in this study from this month concerning uh, having a spirit of generosity. Lord, the tyrant of money nips at our heels every week, the worry and the concern. But you have a different way for us. A way, yes, sometimes of simplifying our life, being wiser stewards of what you've entrusted to us, being diligent laborers and um, the worlds that you've placed before us. But Lord, we ask today that you would help us sort of seal the deal as it relates to this biblical study and this understanding of what it means to be a generous people. We want to excel in the grace of giving as surely as in every other dimension of our life. We thank you for the blessings that you're bestowing, the strength, the faith that you're initiating. Continue to push us down as a body so that we can bring glory to you and that we can participate fully in your mission and what you've called us to do at this local level. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So let me just give a brief review. You know, when you're in school, they do the review sometimes, and I always appreciated that, especially when a test was coming up. You don't have a test coming up, uh, but I would like to review, so it sort of just sort of sticks there a little bit more. So we're going to go back. Here's the first couple statements that we said for the first couple weeks. The first is generous giving awakens us to the materialistic tyrant in our life and breaks the stranglehold by turning our focus towards eternal realities. And maybe you've seen that tyrant nipping at your heels in the last few weeks again. Secondly, generous giving as an act and attitude of worship to God will be filled with joy to the extent we find the joy of our salvation in Jesus Christ. So the uh, why of an offering is listed there in the first point and the um, how is listed in the second The how is the spirit in which we come to be able to be a generous people and to give our offerings and our love to God. All right. Then last week, we moved from the why to the how to the how to or the how much. And so we packed in a lot last week. And so I just want to go back over that just real quickly. So it's like, ooh, but there's a bunch of boatload of stuff last week because we had uh, the gentleman Joe Patron here with us in the interview and everything else that went on. But we talked about uh, the biblical teaching. And we began in the Old Testament, and you can't begin in the, look in the Old Testament concerning giving without coming across the word tithe, which actually means ten or tenth. All right, ten percent of possessions or income. And we saw how that tithe was used in different places throughout the Old Testament scriptures. Principle number one, the tithe was voluntary and it predated the law. So it's not just a legalistic thing. It goes all the way back to when uh, Melchizedek was given a, a tenth. All right. And uh, from Abraham before the law. And so we understand that that concept of giving a tenth of what we owe to God for his honor uh, goes way back. But it wasn't uh, something that was coerced. It was voluntary, but it was seen as part of that worship of honoring God. Principle number two, the tithe was a minimum to be complemented by other free will offerings. Throughout the Old Testament scripture, they had all kinds of offerings at different seasons. And that seemingly was stacked on top of what they gave first, which was their tithe. And then principle number three, the tithe was a testimony of the fact that God owns everything. That God owns everything. So in the Old Testament, the measure was focused on what we gave to God. But in the New Testament, the measure shifted and it became focused on what we keep for ourselves. The focus of Jesus is on what remains, not on what is given. 
And so the New Testament challenge moved from sort of a percentage giving to what's called as a proportional giving. Jesus, poor widow, seeing people put money in the offering at the temple, he acknowledged before his followers, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put in more into the treasury than all the others. How much did she put in? A fraction of two little pennies. So he is observing this. This is Jesus. This is our Lord. Luke 21.4 says on top of that at the same event, all these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, all the others that he saw. But she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. And so this proportional idea emerges in the New Testament where Jesus is focusing on what remains, not on what is given. There is no other way for Jesus to say that this poor widow who gave two little pennies gave more than all the other people. Why? Because he wasn't focusing on what she gave. He was focusing on what she retained and kept to herself. So our perspective, and a lot of times if you've been challenged in this area of stewardship in your own life or giving to God, you, have, you know, we got all kinds of hoops we try to jump through and gimmicky kind of things to try to figure out. Is this right? Is God happy with me? Should I feel guilty about this amount or not amount? You know, friends, just pull back from that. God wants you to give and a heart of generosity voluntarily. The idea of percentage given is a good baseline to start from. But his look is not upon the amount. His look is upon the heart and what you're choosing to live on and release for him, for his worship and for his mission. And so we took this proportional giving then from the New Testament. We came back and we established the measure of an offering this way. And the measure of an offering, we said, let's uh, establish the percentage giving. The tithe is the minimum percentage to give to God. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, Malachi 3.10, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. The tithe was important to God. It didn't disappear in the New Testament. It just wasn't mentioned in the New Testament, most likely because it was assumed in the New Testament. And Jesus wanted to teach on top of the tithing aspect and say it's not the amount, as I just mentioned, but what you have left to live on. And so a generous heart, A generous heart begins to move in a direction of opening up life and not be that hoarder, not being that stingy person. How do you do that? Well, I want to encourage you, as I did last week, let's begin with a percentage mindset. Even if it's not the 10%, grab a hold of a percentage, look at what God entrusts to you, whether it's just in your income or even other means of resources that are given, and say, all right, how do I establish this percentage and how do I begin to move from here? All right? Then we took the proportional giving and we broke it down into two other P's. The priority giving, place giving as an act of worship before other responsibilities, Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with your first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over the new wine. Establish it up front. First thing that comes out of uh, whatever God's resources he gives you on an every other week basis, monthly basis, however. All right? Priority giving. Place it first. See it as a sacrifice, as an offering unto the Lord. And then the other P with uh, this proportional giving idea is progressive giving. Pursue a lifestyle enabling increased percentage giving to God's mission as you begin to walk through all that he has for you. And so then we summed it up last week by saying this. 
Generous giving acknowledges God's ownership of all things. And by faith, and there's no other way to do this, there really isn't, by faith embraces the promise that God will richly provide for those who support his mission. I thought it was interesting just with Janelle's testimony there, that kind of thing. Okay, in a small way, we're on this journey to be faithful, stepping out and trying to embrace our love for God and let faith embrace this concept of faithfulness. So we've gone from the tyrant, gone through the heart of an offering, the measure of an offering. Today we're going to look at the placement of an offering. The placement offering, and we get to come to the big thing I'm passionate about, the mission, all right? Here's the bottom line when it comes to God's giving to him. It's worship, but does God need it? Is God wealthier when you give him money? Oh, poor God. He's really low this week. I think I'll help him out, right? No, God owns infinitely everything. All things are his. And so you cannot contribute to God and increase his wealth, all right? He owns all things. But he challenges us to give to him as an offering, showing our love. But then he chooses to take those resources to set the mission out further of doing what Jesus came to do, which is to love and to seek and save the lost. All right. And to draw people into a meaningful relationship with him so that they can live with him through eternity and all the things that God has planned throughout the eons of time. There is a mission going on. It's laid out clearly in scripture. We've talked about it time and again in our circles around here. But the placement of an offering begins then to land us on the concept of mission concerning money, madness and mission. All right. So here we go. You ready? Old Testament. We're jumping in. The first thing is it was given to support the ministry. I'm going to use the word of the local church. Now, there wasn't a church in the Old Testament, right? The church is a New Testament deal. After Jesus came, the church was established, the body of Christ. You're in a church because you're seeking to know Jesus this morning, know more about him, that you're a follower of Jesus this morning. In the Old Testament, you couldn't just get up and go to church. All right. But you did get up. There were places of worship and there was the temple and there were places to offer sacrifices to God. All right. There were the priests that operated at the temple and the priest mediated between man and God. Even today, a priest is understood as somebody who mediates between your issues and they're a holy person. So then they can talk to God. Got the horizontal thing going And they got the vertical thing going, and they're standing in between and doing this. That's what a priest does, all right? Now, that was the system in the old days. There was no direct access to God. You ended up going through the priesthood, all right? The offerings that were given, the tithes, were devoted in that direction to helping with the priesthood. Numbers 18.24 says this. Instead, I give to the Levites as their inheritance the tithes that are the Israelites present as an offering to the Lord. That is why I said concerning them, they will have no inheritance among the Israelites. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Levites and say to them, when you receive from the Israelites the tithe I give you as an inheritance, you must present a tenth of that tithe as the Lord's offerings. Let me pause there. To understand this system. Old Testament. We did some of the timeline this summer with guess who's coming to dinner, right? We have Abraham. After Abraham, we have 
You can, you can say something here. It's all right. <laughs> Abraham, we have Isaac. Some of you are like, is that right? Yeah. yeah. Abraham, Isaac, then Jacob. And after Jacob, we have, usually we say Joseph. But Joseph was only one of 12 sons, right? And so you go back and you study the life of Jacob and the whole story there. You have Reuben, you have Simeon, you have Levi, you have Judah, you have Dan, you have Gad, you have Asher, you have Naphtali, you have Issachar, you have Zebulun, you have Joseph, and then you also have Benjamin. All right? No time to go into that story. Twelve kids. Twelve sons. Those twelve sons became the twelve tribes of Israel. All right. So you think in terms of your family tree, extended family trees, there's a whole group of people that go down the lineage of my brother, um, Dan, that will. And then I have a brother named Kevin. I have a sister named Joy and a sister named Diane. All right. So that family tree will branch out from there after my after even our generation moves on. All right. With Jacob. Levi. That whole family tree. They were devoted to being the people that worked in the church. They were the priests. And they were not given an income, so they were pulled back, set aside, so they could devote their life to the regulation, the administration, and the enactment of the worship and the sacrifice that happened at the temple. And so in the Old Testament, the tithes, the offerings, were given in the direction that uh, supported the priesthood. And so I simply say the support of ministry at the local church level. And with this, um, there's um, a lot of uh, things to try to figure out. won't go into them. This latter part here mentions that they even took a tenth of what they were given and they gave on to the priesthood of Aaron, so on and so forth. So that's Old Testament. What happens in the New Testament? Well, in the New Testament, the placement and offering is at the same place, the support of the ministry called the local church. And we do have churches then after Christ ascended into the heavens. People started meeting together and um, many times in synagogues and other places, right? But their own houses of worship, uh, their own in homes. And there were appointed, as it says in Ephesians 4, 11 through 17, not priests, all right? But apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, or shepherds, and teachers. And I use an acrostic called APEST. And you keep hanging around here over the years, and you'll see me keep coming back to this, because I think this is huge when it comes to mobilizing the body of Christ. Ephesians 4, 11, 13. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. If you ever want to know sort of what's front and center of my job description as pastor and a leader of this church, it's right there. So that we as a body may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, that we become mature and that we attain the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. But those particular offices were given to the New Testament church to fulfill that purpose of mobilizing the body of Christ. So you don't have the priest. Why? Because Jesus became our high priest when he died on the cross and was raised from the grave. He did away with this two-way system. 
We don't have to go through somebody else, through a priest, to be able to commune with God. We go directly to Jesus. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Why do you pray in the name of Jesus? Because he is your priest. He's at the right hand of God. And he hears you. He can intercede for you. He can encourage you. And he beckons God the Father on your behalf. So the priesthood's done away with. But the offerings in the New Testament, they began to move in the direction of mobilizing the body for the mission by growing in the maturity of the faith and supporting leadership. All right? Galatians 6 6 says this anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. And that all good things there is the same phrase that's used when Jesus has uh, the story of Lazarus um, and the rich man. And the rich man had access to all good things. So it's a, it's a material aspect uh, definition of all good things. All right. And 1 Timothy 5:17 says this. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those who work in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, do not muzzle the ox while it is treading out the grain and the worker deserves his wages. Now, the emphasis here isn't necessarily on the word double. It's on the word worthy. All right. But basically what's being said here, Paul is saying, it is not crazy for those who work in the ministry of the church. And I'm not saying this because I'm the pastor, trust me on this, that, oh, there's a double portion of salary. He says, you know, you need to understand that those who are being mobilized and leading and empowering and equipping, that it's not crazy to think that even a double portion uh, wouldn't be. It's, it's the worthy aspect. And then I like the do not muzzle the ox is one of those chances where I get to use a farming analogy because I come from a farming background in the Midwest. All right. We don't use oxen anymore. Trust me. My dad actually had one of the first rubber tire tractors in all the Midwest, which is amazing to me that that he was that old anyway. <laughs> but we have big tractors down, big combines, right, to harvest things. But that would be like saying do not run the tractors and the combines out of fuel. How nuts is that? You're not going to get anywhere with a harvest or anywhere in a planting season if you run them out of fuel. Don't muzzle the ox while he's, he's treading out the grain. And a worker deserves his wages. All right, so that's the Apostle Paul teaching churches in his day concerning the support and the placement of an offering for the ministry and the ongoing empowerment of what that ministry does at a local basis. All right, so that's number one. Number two is this. Support the ministry to the poor and disadvantaged. Deuteronomy 14, 28, 29 says this. At the end of every three years now, back in the Old Testament, right? Bring all the tithes of that year's produce and store it in your towns so that the Levites, oh, there's that group of people devoted again to uh, leading the worship, who have no allotment or inheritance of their own. We already discussed that. And, it's underlined there, the aliens, the fatherless, and the widows who live in your towns may come and eat and be satisfied. And so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. So the, offer, the tithes and the offerings weren't going just to support the active worship or what was happening in, in the temple ranks and the Levites. It was also used in a storehouse manner every now and then. Let's gather some so that we can help the poor and the disadvantaged. Proverbs 14.31 He who opposes the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. 
is a sobering fact for us, or one that we just need to step back. God, and through Jesus Christ, is continually acting in history on behalf of the poor. I have time to go into it a lot today, but the reality is a lot of times in our modern evangelical churches, we have a great tendency to overlook what is so readily evident in Scripture. Now, we may go to all different kinds of places. How do you go about doing that? And how do we equip them so they can you know, get a job, do other kinds of things, or people are certain in needs at certain times. But there is this whole attitude towards the poor that Scripture talks about is very, very compassionate. And it's throughout the Old Testament. And when you get to the New Testament, guess what happens to that? It only is reinforced. All right? So in the New Testament, we come and we find that Jesus, um, he was actually born into a poor family. They offered turtle doves for their sacrifices. All right? That exemplifies that he came from old. It doesn't say that he had no place to lay his head. He just just didn't have a, a lot of material things. All right? Matthew 25, 37 says this. This is the words of Jesus. Then the righteous, referring to the end times, will answer me, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did to one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did it unto me. This was embedded throughout Jesus' teaching. Um, Jesus himself, you know, he, he referenced that when he came, that the, Spirit was a Lord, uh, that the Spirit of the Lord was upon him to preach good news, preach the gospel to the poor. And then he said concerning John the Baptist, when he sent a delegation to find out uh, if Jesus was the Messiah, he healed people. And then he said to those followers, go tell John the Baptist what you have seen and also tell him the poor have the gospel preached to him. Now, what does this mean? Does this mean that Jesus was against the rich? No, he wasn't against the rich. Um, one good example of that uh, would when he um, invited himself into a rich man's house. If you remember Luke 18, he said that uh, it's harder for a rich man to go through the eye of a needle. And then right immediately after that, he uh, declared... Uh, to Zacchaeus, come down, for I want to go to your home tonight. And Zacchaeus was a wealthy man. And so he went into Zacchaeus' house. Jesus doesn't care if they're poor in one sense or if they're rich. He sees us all, if we do not have faith in him, as poor in spirit. But Jesus, he loved everyone. But in loving everyone, there was also this mindset concerning given to the poor and the disadvantaged. Galatians 2.8 or 2.9. James, Peter, and John, those reputed to be pillars, gave me and Barnabas, this is Paul speaking, the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. So the inner circle, here's Paul, and he was a persecutor of Christians. Paul becomes a follower of Christ. They're very skeptical. And then they start to see that, you know, Jesus really has changed Paul's life. And so Paul and Barnabas were going around and doing ministry. And it says, they gave us the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to us. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles, those are non-Jews, and that they would go to the Jews. So they were dividing up for the mission. 
All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing they, that I was eager to do, that they were also doing. All right? So here's another example carrying through in the New Testament this concern and this thoughtfulness about the poor. So number one, the placement of an offering. You support the ministry of the local church. Number two, you support the ministry to the poor and the disadvantaged. And now number three, you support the ministry of the global mission, of global missions and evangelism. You do not have this in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the concept was this, is that the Israelites, they had a way of living. They had the one true God. They had a moral code that they lived by. They had a practice of worship. And that in and of itself was supposed to draw other people to God. Going all the way back to Genesis 12, where um, it's spoken to Abraham, I am going to bless you so you can be a blessing. All right? But there was no, like, radical mission effort or evangelism, global evangelism effort. We don't find that in the Old Testament, but we do immediately in the New Testament, after, uh, as Jesus is getting ready to ascend to the heavens in Acts 1.8, a common passage to us, Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. These were concentric circles, Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the world. Jesus' mindset is what? Why don't you guys just stay being your little church here in Jerusalem, just pack it in, have a real good time, have some good worship services, love on one another, have some good potlucks, huh? That wasn't in Jesus' mind. Jesus' mind was, I want you all to be the witnesses, and you need to go and make disciples of all nations, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This was on Jesus' mind. He commissioned his disciples that way, and they were to be about that business the mission of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. And they did. And you saw that happening time and again. A lot of different passages we can move to. Let me mention this one out of Philippians 4, verses 14 through 16. 15 through 16 here. Moreover, as you Philippians know, this is Apostle Paul speaking to some Christians in a city called Philippi, which is around the Mediterranean Sea. All right, They were going to the ends of the earth at that time. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, the good news through Jesus Christ, when I set out from Macedonia, that was another location, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, another place that the gospel had been taken to, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. The Apostle Paul, the greatest missionary of all times, Radical conversion to follow Christ. He begins mobilizing many others. He took the lead. Missionary tours, missionary visits, taking the gospel to different places. And it was expected that there would be support given to him on that journey. All right? So that's the third one. We could talk a lot about number three. I decided just to show you this chart. You ever done the U.S. and world population clock? Now, if you look that up on the web, it's live, and it's flicking through numbers. Right now, well, actually, as of last night, I think somewhere around maybe 10 p.m., all right, I did a, a screen print of this. There were 
7,194,200,902,316 people on the earth. Guesstimate. All right? U.S. population was 318 million, almost 319 million. Since July 4th, you can see the number there, it's of 2013, we've grown by about two and a half million people in the U.S. Go to the website, just let the numbers click by. And then ask yourself, does God care about that one? 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 He does. He does. We have a significant work to do for the kingdom of God. Not just us, but all churches, all bodies that are believers in Christ to go and make disciples of all nations, to go to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, and to be witnesses. And we are called to support that ongoing mission, that ongoing mission. And it's encouraging to say, and I won't go into do this morning, but we as a church called the Awakening Church are affiliated with one of the greatest missionary movements that has ever happened in the modern U.S. In fact, Donald Gavron, who uh, was a top-notch guy for church growth, he was a missionary, taught at Fuller Seminary for a number of years, to pass away, sort of the father of the whole church growth movement, he said this. He said, I know of no other organization whose missionary plans are so well formulated and laid out as the Christian and Missionary Alliance. So when you heard reference given to the Alliance, or Joe Patron, who was here last week, of the Alliance, we are connected with the Alliance, not so much for what they can do for us. They'll give us accountability, support, and encouragement. The very chairs that you're sitting in are a direct result of us being connected with the local district of the CMA around here, all right? We are part of the Alliance of what we can do for the sake of the greater global mission through that organization. And so that's why we support in the Alliance something called the Great Commission Fund. And that Great Commission Fund is about $40 million, and I'd love it if it would be more, but local Alliance churches, about 2,000 of them in the United States, they contribute to that kettle called the Great Commission Fund, and out of that kettle, missionaries are sent out to 60, 80, some different kinds of countries around the world, specifically not to just help people, but to raise up churches in places where there are no churches. Those numbers flipping by, guess where the majority of those are? In places where there's no viable place you could drive up and walk into for a church service like you did this morning. Unreached people is what the Alliance is about. And so we as a church participate with our offerings and being able to help support that kind of work. So this is what I'm going to do to close here. I want you to grab in your seat backs an offering envelope. And on your offering envelope, we put new stickers. I want to be very clear on this. Every week, and whether you do it here on this offering envelope or if you give online or if you give uh, through bill pay or whatever, is that you can designate it clearly to these three fund areas. The first is the Awakening Church, the placement offering to the support of the ministries of the local church. All right? 
And so encouragement's given for the tithes to be given to the awakening church. Some people interpret, bring your tithe into the storehouse, the storehouse being the local church. Yea, nay, as if that's the actual understanding of that. But I think it's a good place to start because the local church then begins to mobilize and do other kinds of ministry efforts related to the poor, relating to getting the gospel out to the ends of the earth. But there's also two other blinks. One is Global Ministries Fund. If you want to give above your tithes and place an offering in Global Ministries Fund, that's going to go directly to supporting God's work to reaching people around the world. Okay? Predominantly through the CMA, Christian Missionary Alliance. And then I'm adding a new category, which I don't know that we've actually had as a church around here that's identified as much before, but a benevolent slash care fund. And this fund will be able to help those who are disadvantaged, disenfranchised, people that come upon hard times, all right? Uh, physically, emotionally, there's some other kinds of things. And that benevolent fund, I have never had a huge benevolent fund in any church I've been a part of. It's always like, we got anything in the benevolent fund to help them out with? <laughs> it's like, oh, no, not really. That fund is just an open fund. Whatever's given to that, we give out of that to be able to help particular people who might be in a time of crisis or a particular need that comes. When you give, those are the three primary categories to be able to give to through this body, all right? the Awakening Church, Global Ministries Fund, and the Benevolent Fund. And I want to encourage you, and I think it helps with giving your first fruits and being timely, is to give electronically. And we might have more to say about that later on, but if you want to take that QR code, zap that, you'll go to where you can sort of sign up to give electronically for the giving aspect. Let me say this to those of you who give electronically. When the offering basket is passed, a lot of times like, well, I'm not giving an offering, but I really am giving an offering. Don't ever hesitate to take a blank envelope all right, or take an envelope from the back of the seat backs and just place an empty one in there. Just as a reminder that you are giving your offering, but you're giving it electronic. A lot of people don't carry check, don't carry cash today. But that's symbolic of being able to say, I've given unto the Lord. We want our giving to be an act of worship in this body. All right? And then inside that offering envelope, which we looked at last week, is a giving challenge that I've positioned. I want to say thanks. Many of you last week took this challenge on and you signed your name, which is a bold step. I received those cards. I've already begun to pray over those cards, taking that bold step. But the giving challenge was this, that we would do, as it says in Malachi 3.10, to bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, the 10%, that we would test the Lord in this and to see if he wouldn't pour out a blessing, that we would take the concept of percentage giving, priority giving, and progressive giving, we would take the last three months of this year and just test God and see what happens. And I said last week, and it really wasn't facetious. Some people thought maybe I was. A money-back guarantee. Let's see what happens. If you get to the end of three months and it ain't going well, come talk to me. Give you your money back. All right? It's, it's a whole, it's a, I want you to take some bold step of faith and say, trust me, test me in this, and to see what God would do. So out of my love for Jesus Christ and desire to excel in the grace of giving, I commit by faith my tithe to God and his work through the local church for the next 90 days. The tithe is the first 10% of my total income. I understand this is commitment between God and me, and no one else is going to follow you up or say anything other than maybe I will send an email out to let you know that I am praying for you and encourage you during the course of these 90 days. If you had a chance to fill that out last week, great. If you needed a week to pray about it, I trust you would consider making that bold step today. 
And if you weren't here last week, this is an opportunity for you as well. Fill out that giving challenge. Place it in the offering baskets when we have our last song. And we'll receive those. And that's a bold step to sum up this whole series and say, I'm going to step out in faith and to see what God would do. So I'm going to close with just a few quotes. The first comes from Tim Keller. He's a pastor in uh, New York City, an author. He says this. Living is giving. We live life best when we give ourselves our resources and our competencies and our time and service to others and in support of God's mission. If you spend your money on yourself, you're just surviving. But if you want your life to count, if you want to really live, give. guy by the name of Ronald Anderson. He is a uh, financial advisor and a philanthropist. And Ron Anderson says this, concerning him and his wife both. We thought that financial freedom came from accumulating as much as we could. And if we gave more away, we would have less to enjoy. In reality, the more we gave, the more we enjoyed. And the more freedom we experienced. That's so true of my life. I don't know about yours. But God is faithful. A.B. Simpson, who was the founder of the Christian Missionary Alliance. I like what A.B. simply said one time. He said this. Do not give until it hurts. Give until it doesn't hurt. Is that confusing to you? Do not give until it hurts. Believe me, it hurts to give and start to be a generous person, generous person towards God. But give until it doesn't hurt because it's a mere act of obedience and worship to God. Another great missionary sending person, a missionary himself, was Hudson Taylor. He founded the China Inland Mission. He said this, Take care of the things, God said to him, Take care of the things that are dear to me, and I will take care of the things that are dear to you. And with that, he embarked from the United Kingdom, and he went and established one of the greatest missions movements ever, the China Inland Mission, Hudson Taylor. And then I close with this quote from a gentleman. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. The greatest missionary ever, the Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8. We're going to receive the Lord's tithes and offerings a little bit and your commitment cards as you feel led but I felt we needed to close around this table today. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come because the greatest gift that was ever given was the life of Jesus himself. I want us to remember that life. He gave his life for us so that we could have all the riches of eternity. We bring our offerings to him. We bring our offerings to him, but... He first brought his offering to us. And when we bring our offerings to him now, it's not so much that we're bringing monetary riches that we may have or have been entrusted, 
but we are bringing our life to him. And I think of it this way, that we're bringing our life to him when we're obedient in this area of giving generously by placing our lives at the foot of the cross, which stands over here. And we're saying, God, take my life. Romans 12, you know, it says, you know, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is holy and pleasing unto the Lord. This is your spiritual worship. And so we remember the offering God gave to us. But then we take our lives and give them as an offering to him. And so I want us to remember that. I think um, the band's going to underscore it here briefly. But what we have here is reflected in the scriptures with the Apostle Paul. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So when Jesus took the bread, he broke it. I'm going to invite you to come as you feel led to take the bread, which represents his body, to dip it in the juice, which represents the blood of the new covenant, and to remember the Lord's death till he comes again. May we give our lives afresh to him. Lord, we are here. All that we have comes from you. And we only give back to you what is rightfully already yours. We thank you. And we remember your broken body and your shed blood. Amen. Partake is the 